Are you a social media voyeur? Now, before you click stop and say, no, I don't even want to listen to this podcast, let me ask you, do you enjoy watching the lives of other individuals to the point that maybe it's taking more of your time than you would like to share with a friend? Social media has made us into voyeurs. We now like to snoop at each other. And we don't like the word voyeur because it tends to have this implications of being wrong, of being caught. But yet, if we're honest with each other, we really like to snoop on each other. I mean, before we couldn't do that very well because there were limitations put upon us. Your neighbors could draw the curtains, draw the blinds, couldn't see a thing, but now they put it out there for you to see, and they put it out there hoping that you'll see it. You know, there's a certain amount of reward we get by looking at social media, looking at other people's lives. There, there's a sense of power that we gain, a power of learning about another person, information that we have about this other person that we didn't have before. The other advantage of, of social media voyeurism is it allows us to feel connected to the larger society, people that you don't even know, people that if we're in a room, you may not even recognize. But when it comes to your media, you can see them. And so there's a sense of connected. They look like me. They have the same interest as me. Again, a sense of connection. But then there's the last one I think is is really significant, curious, curiosity. And it's actually part of who we are. You see, your prefrontal cortex, it will reward you when you see something novel or new. So when it comes to social media, and if you stumble across and you find out new information about a person, or you see someone for the first time, Maybe a fan, like for example, I, I enjoy Formula One. I enjoy looking at Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc, George Russell. So when these individuals give me insights into their life, Daniel Ricardo, I can't leave him out. For example, Daniel Ricardo, this last uh, Friday, he rode into the paddock on a horse. Well, they're racing in Austin, Texas. That information, somehow I feel connected with him. I know about him. And my prefrontal cortex, it rewarded me for that. As human beings, it's just innately a part of who we are. We like to see, but we also like to be seen. Well, this is fine until it comes to a different level. When it comes to nudity and sexual acts. It's what we call pornography. But pornography has changed dramatically. Gone are the days of where individuals would have to sneak into parts of town that were less than idea, or to rent something at a VCR, which meant you had to trek in into a part of the store that once you went back there, people saw you go back there. It was like, huh, I know what they're doing. But now it's right there out there for you. And now you don't even need professionals to produce it. Individuals have webcams. They have access to the internet. 
That's all you need. And they can make money out of it. Not only just a little money, some of them make really good money as amateur pornographers. It's out there, and the demand is out there because we like to look. And it even could be tied back into biologically into evolution and the whole reproduction thing. However, with pornography, just the word alone, there comes a lot of shame and guilt. And the source of that shame and guilt is the Christian church and other religions. Christianity, along with other religions, have taken a stance against pornography. And today, that's what we want to look at. In particular, we're going to look at an article written by Andy Nasali, who serves as the Associate Professor of Systematic Theology and New Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary. He wrote an article that appeared in Themelios, a conservative religious journal, entitled Seven Reasons You Should Not Indulge in Pornography. Right after the break, we're going to come back, and I'm going to share with you what those seven are. And the one in particular I want to focus on has something to do with H-E double hockey stick. We'll be right back. All right, here we go. Seven reasons why you should not partake in pornography. Number one, it will send you to hell. Number two, it does not glorify God with your body. Number three, it is a poisonous, fleeting pleasure. Number four, it is foolishly, it foolishly wastes your life. Number five, it betrays your wife and children. Number six, it ruins your mind and your conscience. And then last of all, number seven, it participates in sex slavery. Well, we're trying to keep our podcast below three hours. Just joking. Um, so we can't look at all seven in depth. But in particular, the one that interests me is number one, pornography will send you to hell. And the reason why it interests me is because as Christians, we have a tendency to focus upon fear and shame. And when Andy, when Andy Nacelli says that pornography will send you to hell, to me, he's doing just that. He is focusing and using as his argument, and he builds his argument based upon fear and shame. How does he do that? How does he do that? And then in response, what do I think about what he's saying? Well, to understand where Andy's coming from, the first thing you have to do is look at the text in Matthew chapter 5 and see how this is the foundation upon which he builds his argument. So I'm going to read for you Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. It says the following, You have heard... That it was said, this is Jesus speaking, you shall not commit 
adultery. Again, Jesus was referring to the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. So what does this have to do with pornography? Was Jesus talking about, thinking about pornography? Well, I don't think so. Pornography was limited in its availability in the, around the first century. Just CE. That, it, just, it wasn't there. So I don't think personally Jesus had in mind pornography. But that's not how Andy sees it. Andy says that looking at a woman at a woman for the purpose of lusting is sin. That Andy believes is Jesus' arguments. That looking at a woman for the purpose of lusting is sin. Now, if you look at the word lust that is used in the original text, it has this idea of desiring or a longing. Even look up in a modern dictionary the word lust. And it's described as a very strong sexual desire. Well, Andy says that if you look at a woman for the purpose of lusting after her, that you are committing adultery. I remember as a kid being exposed to this text. It's right around adolescence, puberty. And it said that if I lusted after a woman, that I might as well commit adultery with her. Well, as a 13, 14-year-old, I, I lusted. I mean, it was just natural. You would see a very attractive woman, and it would happen. And I remember seeing this, and in my mind, if Jesus was truly saying that if I lusted after a woman, it was just the same as if I slept with that woman— Well, I used to think, well, then I should start sleeping with other women because if I've sinned already and the sin is as if I've already done the deed, well, then do the deed. Enjoy the temporary pleasure of the moment and then repent of my adultery. And then the other reason that I had a problem with this text is it says, if your right eye causes you to sin, you're supposed to tear it out and throw it away. Really? Was Jesus serious? When Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, and it, this just me personally, I may be completely wrong, but as a, I remember thinking, cutting off your right hand, what does that have to do with seeing in your eyeball? And then I thought, well, if you're lusting after a woman, you're, and then you end up pleasuring yourself with your hand, that these were all seen as ways of stopping something that Jesus was see, saw as wrong. But then later on, when I went back and looked at it, it was like, I don't think that's what Jesus was doing. In fact, I think what Jesus was saying was hyperbole. 
Moses, the law around adultery was basically that if a man didn't like a woman, he could get rid of her. I think Jesus was was talking about how the Ten Commandments were being obeyed at one level and just kind of getting by while being able to do all these other things. I mean, all you have to do is look in Matthew chapter 5. It talks about the same when it comes, thou shalt not kill. Jesus says, well, you, even if you call your brother a fool, you've committed murder. Well, I, growing up, there were many times I called my brother a fool. I was never arrested for first-degree murder. I think Jesus was using this as hyperbole. But yet, Andy and others like him want to take this text and use it as a way of speaking out against pornography. Is it okay, I would like to ask Andy, is it okay to lust after your wife? Well, some people would say there's a difference between lust and sexual desire. Well, again, go back to the dictionary's difference. They use the word, it's a very strong sexual desire. If that is wrong, if that is lust, a very strong sexual desire, the other one is to have a sexual desire. So where's the boundary? Can you lust after your wife, your partner? And if you do, is that a sin? Those are one of some of the questions I think this text being used for this purpose creates some problems for us. Andy goes on, he says, so if you indulge in pornography, you are sinning. Well, my question, again, would be that if an individual was looking at pornography, looking at a picture of a naked woman, a naked man, what if they didn't have a strong sexual urge or desire come about from that? Is that still a sin? Is just the reality of seeing a naked body a sin? I don't think we would say yes. Doctors see naked people all the time. Medical people see nudity all the time. So if you look at a picture of a naked woman and you don't lust, if you don't have this overwhelming, strong sexual desire, is that still make it a sin? Then Andy pulls out the triggers, the big guns, when he says people who habitually and unrepentantly indulge in pornography will go to hell. Do not pass. Go. Go directly to hell. Now, if you hear that, as a teenager, it doesn't matter today if it's male or a female. We know that both genders look at pornography, men more than women. Yeah, but women are partaking in it. We know that now more. So by partaking in, Andy would say that you're going to hell. He goes on to further and he says that indulging in pornography is a form of sexual immorality and those who are sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not go to heaven and they will experience God's wrath. God is not necessarily always loving. If you look at pornography, God isn't going to love you. God's wrath is going to be there. Now, somehow they'll turn it around and say that God's wrath is couched in God's love. Come on, that doesn't work. 
Andy then says, if indulging in pornography characterizes your life, then you can have no assurance that you are a Christian. Also in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And he says, if you're indulging in pornography, then you are not pure in heart, and only the pure in heart will see God. But this is the one that really got me. When, and I'm quoting now from this article. I'm trying to scare the hell out of you, or more, more precisely, to scare you out of hell. You see, Andy believes that those who look at pornography, there might as well, they're already in hell. It's just a matter of time. But is that what Jesus is really talking about here in Matthew chapter 5? Well, apparently, there are some who believe the answer is yes. But the fear and the shame that is coming from the Christian church is not effective. It is not working. At fear and shame as a deterrent, it just leaves a bunch of people feeling terrible about themselves. Why am I saying that? Is because studies show that those individual who believe as conservative Christians that they are morally opposed to pornography, they're still looking at it. It's what's called the experience of incongruence, a discrepancy between what someone believes and what someone does. Why? We're going to look at that when we come right back. The experience of incongruence. It's when research indicates that there's a significant number of conservative Christians who are morally opposed to pornography, but they view it anyways. Some individuals say that the majority of individuals who look at the pornography tend to come from the South, the Bible Belt. Well, they haven't been able to definitively say why there is this experience of incongruence, this phenomena of discrepancy. But they, scholars do offer two possibilities. Number one, the group versus the individual. If you belong to a group, it's very easy to take on the group's identity their characteristics, their beliefs, their behaviors. And so if you belong to a group of individuals who are saying that porn is bad, that looking in porn will send you to hell, more than likely you're not going to confess and admit that occasionally you look at it. And instead, you will join with the group. You will say that it's wrong, that people should not look at it. Because you belong to the group, 
And if you confess or say otherwise, if you have questions that, is it true? Is pornography really immoral? Your standing in the group is probably going to drop. And again, that sense of being connected with other individuals is so important to us that we can display an outward behavior or an outward persona, and yet what we do in private, what we do when the doors close, it may not necessarily match with that. The second reason why there is this experience of incongruence, why people say that they're against pornography, but yet in the privacy of their own home, when it's just them and their laptop or them and their phone, they're looking at it. And one of the reasons is exposure. It doesn't matter how conservative of a religious person you are. You are living in the mainstream society. And society today is consumed by technology and media. It is more prevalent today than it has been in our past. In an article entitled The Evolution of Pornography in Psychology Today, they say that early pornography was limited to cave art, artistic drawings, decorative pottery, and sculpture. <laughs> the reality is pornography, images of the nude body have been around for thousands of years. It's not like we invented pornography. It's been in existence since the dawn of time. But what's changed is our exposure to that. In the last few dec decades, digital technology has removed pretty much any barrier that has been out there for either the manufacture, dissemination, and viewing of pornography. Think about it in this way. In the 1860s, photography, the camera, was invented. <laughs> Guess what they did with the camera? Click, click. Erotic photos. Then after that, instead of having just stills, now they had moving pictures. Pictures brought together in rapid succession. These could be shipped to your home, more than likely a P.O. box rented by an alias so that you could have access to pornography. Then came along VCRs. Now you didn't have to rent it from anywhere as far as having it mailed to you. You could buy it. And then came table te cable television, <laughs> Showtime, HBO, at night. Mild, soft porn. It was there. All you had to do was subscribe to HBO or Showtime, and you had access to it. Now it was in your home. Then along came the, comes the Internet. And with the Internet, availability goes skyrocketing. After that comes the webcam. Now you could take pictures, and you could produce those films yourself, put them on the Internet, and... Now we're at 5G. Who knows what's next? Faster internet speeds allow us to stream video pornography. We have an availability of pornography because of the digital age that has never been in existence before. 
And that may be one of the reasons why individuals who verbally say pornography is immoral, it's wrong, but yet in the privacy of their home, they're looking at it. It's just there. It's available to them. And sex sells. Look at commercials. Look at TV shows. Look at movies. If we did not want to see R-rated sexuality, it wouldn't be in the movies. What we don't know, however, is the short-term and the long-term impact of this kind of availability of pornography. But it does not mean that because we don't know its impact, it doesn't automatically make pornography immoral. And using fear and shame as a way of stopping individuals from looking at pornography is only doing one thing. It's hurting people. When you walk around with that much guilt and shame in your life, eventually it's going to manifest itself either in your actions toward other people or physically within your own being. But because pornography has such a stigma around it, we won't talk about it. Imagine sitting down with a friend and asking them, hey, do you look at pornography? You think it's right? You think it's wrong? Let's talk about it. No, we don't. And that's why it's difficult for us to be honest with each other when it comes to the positive and negative impact it has upon our lives. So here's what I want to conclude with. Do you look at pornography? And I'm asking that not in a judgmental sense. But if you do look at pornography, if you produce pornography, how much guilt and shame are you dealing with? How prevalent is that in your life? And is that guilt and shame benefiting you? And before you just say, well, Tony said it's okay to look at pornography. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is maybe we ought to begin to really look at why we're even attracted to pornography. What is it about this evolutionary process that creates this desire innately within us? Why is it stronger in some people why do some people have a stronger libido, therefore are more interested in looking in pornography than other individuals? And also, maybe it's time for us to be honest with the impact it has upon our lives. Think about other actions that can end up being detrimental to an individual. Drinking, smoking among many others. It's called moderation. So maybe we need to stop and, and really consider the positive and negative impact that pornography has on our personal lives. And when we think about it, be honest. 
with ourselves and be honest with the evidence that is so available on the internet today. Because you can read both sides. Both sides are biased on their opinions. And you're going to have to use discernment to decide for yourself where your stand is, and then perhaps have the courage to talk to someone else. And man, if you can find that person and you can have that conversation in a non-judgmental manner, kudos to you. Well, our time has come to an end. Enough about pornography, but not enough about life. So whatever you're doing in life today, enjoy it and stay safe. Until next time, take care of yourself.